Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where today we've had a lot of news breaking on the Russia front, the Attorney General's own uh, watch uh, talking about, uh, is there really an epidemic of police killing unarmed black men? Is it large and widespread or not? He says it's not an epidemic, and I think we're going to give you some statistics to explain why he thinks that way. Uh, And then... uh, we like on this podcast to often find a story that might be local, maybe unique to one part of the country or a state or a city, a community, a neighborhood that speaks a larger volume about where we are in America today. And I think we have just that story, just that person today. Tennessee State Representative John DeBerry Jr., who has served the Memphis area in the State Assembly of Tennessee for a quarter century uh, as a Democrat, a proud Democrat. Uh, His grandparents were Eisenhower Republicans. He became uh, a Democrat, and his parents didn't uh, during the Kennedy era, and he has served there. And despite his long record of service, his 13 consecutive elections to uh, the state House of Representatives, the Democratic Party in Tennessee kicked him out. Why? Because it said his views on religion, on law and order, on respect, on uh, uh, supporting and being a good American didn't reflect those of the Democratic Party of Tennessee or the Democratic Party of the United States. I think this is such an important uh, story to hear. What is it like to have been a lifelong Democrat kicked out of the party, even though your views never changed, uh, even though your constituents have put you in time and time again? So we're going to hear from the state representative himself, John DeBerry Jr. of Memphis, Tennessee. He's got a powerful story. He's an eloquent speaker. Uh, so buckle your seatbelt. There's a lot of passion, a lot of wisdom that uh, he will impart today. And uh, as, we, as we try to introduce you to new people and new issues and uh, stories that I think speak more about the state of America at large. We're divided. We have these riotous um, uh, chaos uh, spread across America by a handful of people trying to impart the American dream, the American society tried to divide us much like Russia and China, Iran, and our enemies would love to see done. All, all great empires, the, the greatest uh, fear uh, is to fall from within through dissension. And obviously, we're living in a period that raises that concern with some people. But uh, John DeBerry is here. He's going to talk about 
what he's done, what he's going to do, how he's going to go through this period, what's at stake in this election. You will not want to miss this interview. A man of passion, a man of faith, a man of uh, longtime public service, a Democrat from Tennessee who's no longer welcome in his party, not because he did anything terrible. He didn't have any controversies. He didn't have any scandals. He, uh, he just simply stuck to his values of faith and his belief in country, his belief in law and order. And that made him suddenly unpopular in a Democratic Party that doesn't look like the one he joined back in the late 1960s. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the Attorney General, Bill Barr's interview last night on CNN. I thought it was very important on two issues. One, talking about police violence. Is there an epidemic or is it contrived? And two, uh, he had a pretty remarkable response to the question of mail fraud, mail ballot fraud for all those Democrats uh, who uh, say there's no problem, no concern. I've got a name for you, Jimmy Carter. Come back after the commercial break. We'll describe why that's important. We'll be right back after these uh, great messages from our great advertisers and sponsors. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back uh, to the show. We're so glad you joined us today. You are going to be delighted to hear our guest today, State Representative John DeBerry Jr. of Tennessee, a Democrat serving Memphis for more than a quarter century, suddenly unwelcomed, ousted from his party, not because of a controversy, not because of a criminal scandal or political scandal, because his longtime held views on faith, on community, on law and order, on respecting America, apparently no longer fit in at least the Tennessee Democratic Party's uh, view and and perhaps in the National Democratic Party as well. A Democrat repudiated by his own party because of his belief in faith, God, family, country. Uh, That story coming up in a few seconds. But first, I want to go over a few things that happened yesterday that I think are uh, extremely important, and I hope you had a chance to look at it. Always keep an eye on the headlines at justthenews.com. We're trying to crank it out all day. Uh, When there's breaking news, we're usually on top of it. We also have some great, great um, enterprise pieces today. uh, A really fun story by Nick Ballacy, my colleague at Just the News, who covers Congress for us. He's picked together, you know, Joe Biden's getting back on the road. He's getting back to being unscripted. And, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Michael Moore, the great liberal entertainer, movie maker, said that he wants Joe to be crazy Joe. And we reminded people that when Joe Biden has gone off script, it often hasn't gone well for him. It's created controversy. It's offended various constituencies, including African-Americans. So Nick pulled together some of the more unscripted moments of Joe Biden's candidacy this year and how wrong they went. You're going to want to see that. It's a really, really fun story. In addition, uh, my good colleague Daniel Payne has a very important story about a coronavirus fund out in Oregon that was funded by American taxpayer dollars, federal government money. Uh, that will only allow African-American, black Americans to apply for help. 
We talked to some legal scholars that raised the question about whether this violates the Constitution and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to constrain money uh, only to African-American, black Americans. Uh, The exclusion of non-black Americans uh, from the program could potentially, according to legal scholars, pause a cause a problem. Uh, take a look at that one. It's an interesting story a lot of people aren't talking about. It's another one of those stories that's in a local community, kind of like what we're going to do with uh, State Rep uh, John DeBerry in a second, but it speaks volumes about some of the race-specific uh, struggles that we are in policy debates that we're engaged in in America today. And, you know, the debate is good. We're going to resolve these things. We're going to be strong when we come out of all of this chaos, but it's good to illuminate and to give you the facts so that you can make up your own mind about each of these issues. Now, the thing I really want to talk about before we get to uh, State Representative John DeBerry, Jr. of Tennessee, of Memphis, is uh, an interview that uh, Attorney General Bill Barr did last night on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. Good interview. I think good questions, important questions. There are two things I would like to point out about it because I think you know, we talk a lot about Russia, and that's important. And I had Ted Cruz on the show yesterday, and you heard what he said about the lack of accountability. I still think, and I think we can take a signal from Bill Barr's comments last night, that more is still to come on that front. But he talked about two other issues that are in the news that matter, I think, to our listeners, certainly to the readers of Just the News, we can tell, because they gravitate and read and digest and share these stories. Uh, one of them is the question of mail-in ballots and the potential for fraud. And as you know, we've done... One of the deepest dives on that, uh, we found more than three dozen cases that we highlighted just a couple of weeks ago. I think President Trump even retweeted it of examples of real fraud, ballot box fraud, ballot box stuffing, mail-in ballot frauds, absentee fraud, people being paid to pose as other voters, all things that happened that defrauded uh, various past elections. And when I mean past elections, I'm not talking about the 1990s. I'm talking about 2018 and 2016, very recent elections where now federal government or state prosecutors uh, have brought to justice and prosecuted. So when you hear, oh, there's no voter fraud, there's no ballot fraud, keep in mind, New Jersey has to do a do-over election in one of its cities because of the extent of fraud that occurred. We just saw cities and states across the country mail out uh, ballot applications fraudulently or inaccurately or fill them out inappropriately. Uh, This issue of fraud and concern is... Um, more real. And of course, CNN asked the typical thing, why, why are you so worried about fraud, Mr. Attorney General? It's not, not a big deal. People say it's not a big deal. Of course, they didn't look at the three dozen, four dozen cases that we've been writing about here at Just the News. But he had something important to say that he reminded us back just about a decade ago, there was a commission. It was led by James Baker, the former chief of staff and treasury secretary for George H.W. Bush. Uh, certainly served Reagan too, James Baker did effectively. And uh, Jimmy Carter, the former president of the United States, a Democrat, a Republican, bipartisan, back in days when we did the we, did things together on things that were important. And the attorney general very uh, importantly, I think, reminded CNN that it wasn't that long ago when a bipartisan commission raised real concern that the expansion of mail-in ballots, mail-in voting, posed a high risk, a high risk, of voter fraud. And I want to applaud uh, the Attorney General for pointing that out. I forgot about that. We're going to be writing about that at Just the News today. So buckle your seatbelt. I think that's a fun one to to go back and do. Uh, but I thought that was an important statement. It sort of tied something in recent history that debunks some of the talking points that the news media and the Democratic allies who want to open up the spigot on mail-in ballots uh, have uh, ignored. And it's always great when um, stubborn facts illuminate an issue 
more than the spin and other things. So I want to point that out. I thought the um, Attorney General also had one other comment that uh, obviously got a lot of news attention today saying that he does not believe fatal police shooting of black men is an epidemic. It's a problem. He doesn't want to see anyone killed by an officer. He doesn't want to see an officer put in the position of having to kill someone. But he said very strongly that there, uh, he does not believe there, by statistics or by uh, action or by experience that we have an epidemic of police just executing unarmed black men. And so I want to dig in, and these are some statistics from the FBI Unified Crime Report. I think they were recently even reported on by the Washington Post. Uh, so in 2019, there were about 10 million different arrests uh, by police at all different levels, from the federal level down to the local level, sheriffs at the county, state police, uh, all the way up and down the law enforcement chain. Um, so uh, after, uh, in, in, uh, of those 10 million arrests, there were 1,004 fatal police shootings last year, so just about 1,000. So that's a very small percentage of arrests that involve a fatal shooting. Of them, there were 370 whites. 235 blacks, 158 Hispanics, and 241 whose race or uh, ethnicity weren't known. But in the places where there are identification of race, there have been more white people shot than black people. And in fact, the shooting is somewhat proportionate, maybe uh, to, to the population distributions that we see today. And then I want to go back to, of those 1,004 uh, fatal police shootings in 2019, 41 unarmed people among those 1,004 fatal victims of shootings by police. Of the, uh, of the 41, 19 were white, 9 were black, 6 were Hispanic, 7 were uh, race or um, ethnicity uh, undeclared unknown. So, uh, again, uh, the distribution of these tragedies, because they are tragedies. No one wants to shoot. No cop wants to shoot. A man, no man wants to be shot by a cop, a woman. But when you look at the statistics, uh, and again, I think it's 1,004 too many shootings. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't need any of these? But uh, when you look at the distribution, blacks um, and uh, Hispanics uh, and whites, it's, it's distributed much more differently than the media portrait made today when you hear there's a crisis uh, where there's racism in police departments. Now, listen, there was racism in police departments. We saw it in the 1960s, right? You didn't, you didn't have to uh, go far, just watch the Selma march to see uh, a form of, of violence that was clearly race-driven. Uh, but we're a long time from that. We've moved beyond that in a big way. And when our media colleagues, my media colleagues, try to sell you a bill of goods, keep these statistics in mind. Um, 1,004 police shootings uh, that were fatal last year, whites were the largest number of uh, 41 uh, fatal police shootings involving unarmed people. Whites were uh, a large part of it. Uh, and again, whether you're white, you're black, you're Hispanic, you're Asian, whatever it is, we don't want to see anyone shot. We don't want any officer put in the position to have to use lethal force, but we know what happens. We know on the battlefield there's instances where people are killed. We know in the city streets with gangsters and drug dealers and people who are on drugs and lost their mind. They're going to be tragic moments. We'd like to keep reducing them. We'd like to find the tactics, the non-lethal force that can sometimes intervene. Uh, but you have to keep the statistics in mind. That's what we're here at Just the News to do, give you those statistics. Now you have them, and I hope uh, they make some sense to you as you move on throughout your day. All right, folks, we're going to go to another commercial break. When we come back, a very special guest, 
State Representative John DeBerry Jr. of Memphis, Tennessee, a lifelong Democrat who's been disowned by his own party, not because of scandal, not because he did anything wrong. He keeps getting elected by the very good constituents in his own district in Memphis. He was disowned by the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party walked away from him because they believed his faith in God, his supportive country, his belief in law and order and respect didn't reflect the current values of the increasingly left-leaning Democratic Party, both in Tennessee and America. This is a story of cancel culture meeting politics that you're going to want to hear. He's a very passionate man. Uh, His recent video on Twitter went viral because he had a lot to say about how a false race narrative is being used to divide America, uh, probably to the great delight of our enemies overseas. Uh, Very important interview. John DeBerry, state representative from Memphis, Tennessee, coming up right after this commercial break. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, Tennessee State Representative John DeBerry Jr. has been in the headlines recently. Uh, His personal story of uh, longtime service to the people of Tennessee uh, has met uh, a moment of intolerance in America. He's been a lifelong Democrat and the Democratic Party in Tennessee walked away from him this year. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about what that experience is like and what he's doing to continue to serve the great people of Tennessee. Representative, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir, for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, um, give greetings to all of your audience and listeners. Well, thank you very much. We're so honored to have you uh, on the show today. I uh, I grew up as a political reporter uh, in the 80s when the discussion in America was we need to build a bigger tent. We need to big, build bigger coalitions. We need to bring different viewpoints into the parties. And today it seems like we're moving in the opposite direction. We're shrinking the tent in some places. What was it like to find out that the party that you served uh, and been elected under for 13 consecutive terms, if I understand correctly, uh, walked away from you? What, what was that like in March? Well, it was there was some, some surprises in that in the way in which it was done. I was given no notice. Uh, I was totally ambushed by this. Uh, in 48 hours, regardless of what I have done and accomplished in 26 years as a member of the House of Representatives, a tribunal, a group of folks from across the state, many of whom have never been to Memphis, and most certainly I have never met most of them, uh, made a decision on a Zoom call in the middle of a pandemic in a 48-hour period 
that I was not a Democrat, that I did not hold the virtues of, of a Democrat. I did not uh, stand uh, and uphold the banners of a Democrat. So that it was surprising in the, in the way in which it was done because it was totally disrespectful uh, to me and disrespectful to uh, the 65,000 people of District 90 that you remove their right to make that decision for themselves saying, and I quote, that the people in your district don't have enough information to make that decision, we will make it for them. So that was extremely surprising. What wasn't surprising was that their disdain for me and what I stand for, uh, as far as my conservative values are concerned, my belief in the scriptures, a biblical standard of morality, a biblical standard of ethics uh, in life, in, in marriage, uh, in parental responsibility and parental authority. It was not surprising uh, that they wanted me out of the party. They have run three consecutive, extremely contentious elections uh, with very formidable candidates. Candidates, uh, putting the thousands of dollars behind them, billboards, social media, calling me everything but a child of God in order to get me out of office. I've never had a Republican opponent. My opponents have always been those of my own party who refused to allow me to have my own opinions, my own beliefs, and, and to make my own stands. If I don't walk the chalk line, talk like they tell me to talk, then I am therefore not a Democrat. Wow. And what's most interesting is that they're not just canceling you, they're canceling the choice that those 65,000 constituents made. Um, there's a little bit of paternalism, I guess, when you tell the constituents, we don't trust your judgment, so we're going to make it for you. What have you heard from the people who have been so well served by you for the last 26 years? Uh, how have they taken this news? Well, they have been extremely upset. The majority of them have been livid because uh, they realize that whether they like me or not or agree with every vote I make or not, it was still their choice to make. It was their decision to make and not the decision of some group of elitist tribune, uh, 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 democratic uh, elitists who sit somewhere behind closed doors in the dark of night and make that decision for them. And so I have received widespread and diverse support from Democrats and Republicans in my district pledged to support me to make sure that I'm reelected and go back to Nashville in November. That certainly would be the uh, the ultimate statement of the people, wouldn't it, to, to put you it back was, in office for a, uh, for a 14th term. Um, as you look about this, when you joined the Democratic Party uh, a quarter century ago, or when you, you elected from the Democratic Party, you probably were there before, but did you find the party welcoming of your views back then? Well, it wasn't as uh, militant and and um, adversarial back then. Um, it was a, it was a different world. I think that the media was different. I think that uh, uh, the world was different it, to the extent that folks were not trying to throw God out of the marketplace. Uh, 
compromise the authority of parents, uh, compromise the institution of marriage. All of these things, while they were there, while these issues were there, they were not placed on the forefront by the popular media. And we didn't have a generation of children uh, who are now, if if they were one year old when I w uh, came to office, they're, they're 26, 27 years old now. So we have a whole generation of children. We have the most spiritually illiterate generation, the most historically illiterate generation in the history of our nation. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know who George Washington is either. They don't have the commitment. There are those who don't have the commitment to this nation, the continuance of this nation. And we have those in the media who have fanned the flames of hatred and distrust to the extent that folks like me um, are, as they say, and I quote, out of style because their party has evolved. So it has evolved away from me over a 20, 25 year period. And I became a Democrat. I made my first vote as a Democrat in 19, uh, I believe 68 or 1970. Wow. It may have been 1970. So the party has changed uh, dramatically, dramatically from the party uh, that my mother and father uh, when they were the first in our family to vote Democrat uh, when John Kennedy was running. Otherwise, my grandparents and my great-grandparents were all Eisenhower Republicans. No kidding. Uh, and I heard all the time about uh, Eisenhower integrating the military and right. sending troops to Little Rock. I knew all about that as a child. So that was a big riff in my family when my, my parents, who were the young folks at the time, uh, voted for Kennedy. <laughs> Sure. So the party has changed tremendously since then. Yeah, it's not the Kennedy-Johnson party at all. Um, no, it's not. In fact, uh, many times I've, I've heard uh, Democrats from that era say, John Kennedy might be a moderate Republican today. It's hard to see. We'd have to know, but uh, it would yeah. hard, to, hard yeah. to tell. But now what happens? Uh, first, there's a logistical challenge for this election, which is you're still a lifelong Democrat, but now you're going to run as an independent. Is that correct on the ballot? I'm on the ballot as an independent in November. And is there a Republican challenger? No, sir. I've never had a Republican. Never had one, right? Yeah. Right. That's a sign of uh, the trust that the the people of your district have, that they uh, they don't even have a, uh, the other party contesting you. As you look out now, what do you do philosophically for the rest of your life? Do you go back now to where your grandparents were? Do you go back to being a Republican? Do you like the independent position? Do you try to stay in the Democratic Party, at least in affiliation, and try to reform it or open the tent back up so that people of faith like you uh, aren't shunned? Well, what I do is what I've always done. I, I stand on those principles and teacher and teachings and uh, uh, standards and virtues and attributes that were given to me by my parents, by those uh, that taught me religiously as I grew up in my church. Uh, by by wonderful, wonderful teachers, uh, beginning with Miss Rowley in the first grade, 1956 Dunn Avenue School, when I stood for the first time in the school and put my hand on my heart and, and made the Pledge of Allegiance. You and remember her name. Look at that. I remember her name. And wow. I remember that day like it was yesterday because it was such a great day uh, to learn that pledge and look at that flag. 
what what I do is I continue to stand for what I stand for. The vision that we see happening right now, that division, we cannot sustain this division. Um, if, if you're folks of my age, remember that Khrushchev said back in the 60s uh, that he was going to destroy my, what I was taught and told was that he said, that he would destroy America or take America without firing a shot. Yeah, we done from and, within. And and the the theory was they're going to turn us against ourselves, black folks against white folks, the north against the south, rich against the poor, the educated against the less educated. In other words, make us tear ourselves apart internally. And if we look at all the great civilizations of the world where we go and visit various places right. like Rome and Greece and Egypt, we see ruins of great civilizations. If we don't get this right, you can imagine maybe 50, 60, 100 years from now, someone coming to see the ruins of the Statue of Liberty or the ruins of the Washington Monument or the ruins of the Capitol saying, yes, that that was the great capital of the United States at one time. We better wake up to the fact that this is not always, and, and I know I didn't originate this, but I'm going to use it anyway shamelessly. <laughs> it's not the elephant. It's not the donkey. It's the lamb. Yeah. And until we get back to the lamb and what God's word is, we're going to continue to have these problems. It's an amazing uh, thing. Um, I look back my, on uh, the final day. I was very close to my grandfather. And when my grandfather was in his final days, he said, the greatest thing I worry about for your generation, those to come, is that somewhere in the last few years, I feel like we lost the we in America. We say somehow we've become us and them. And we need we back. And as I listen to you, I hear the I hear the very sage words that my grandfather said in his final days before he passed on. And how do we how do we start the process of reversing this? You talked about an entire generation that you know seems to be spiritually illiterate, certainly um, civically illiterate, right? The the, the the civics and appreciation for what made America, America seems to be lacking. How do you, you, we can't put the genie back in the bottle. How do we fix this? Well, we, we have, there's a, there's a, uh, Jesus said this in his parabolic teaching, while men slept and enemies sowed tares. We went to sleep back in the sixties and through the seventies, eighties and nineties. We put foreign teachers and professors in our colleges and high schools who had no allegiance to America, no national uh, pride or uh, uh, responsibility, and they have taught a whole generation how to hate America, to, to hate the greatest country that has ever been. America created the middle class. We have the greatest and most even distribution of wealth in the history of the world. We've got children talking about uh, Christopher Columbus. When Christopher Columbus uh, discovered the, this part of the globe, uh, there was not a democracy on the planet Earth. There were monarchies and kings and queens had the right of life and death over all those that they surveyed. America created, that's why it's often called the American experiment. We created this type of democracy that where folks can rise up and own property, educate their children, worship God as they see fit. And, and for to have a generation that doesn't understand how wonderful the magnitude and profundity of that freedom 
It is truly a shame, but that's where we find ourselves. Is there a revolution at hand for Americans to demand changes in that education system? You talk to a lot of people and say, well, particularly the universities have become um, breeding grounds for this anti-American sentiment. And you look at uh, polls and they show people who didn't go to college have a much stronger uh, you know, appreciation for America than those who did. Does some of this focus on changing our educational institutes to re reinstitute curriculum and appreciation for an America that might have been stripped away? Absolutely. I think that we, as as regular Americans, if I might use that term, sure. uh, have got to take responsibility over academia. These people who have prefixes and suffixes on their names, who think they're smarter than we are, <laughs> and who think that we're the ones that are ignorant because we believe in that old Bronze Age book called the Bible, and we believe in this invisible deity that we call God, they call us ignorant. Yeah. But our nation was built on faith in that that Bronze Age book and that invisible deity that we call God. And that's why God blessed us in the first place. And until we stop being silent and just sitting down and taking it and closing our eyes and minds to what's happening to us, uh, we're, we cannot sustain what we see happening in Portland, in Seattle, in Chicago, and in other major cities across this country. That's all it takes for it to break out. And all of a sudden, you've got a war all over this country. And if, you, if I may say, since we're talking, there are those who have weaponized race. Yes. They've taken race and twisted it to where race, it doesn't have to have, it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to have validity. You don't have to have statistics to prove it. You don't have to have actual facts. Just say black, white, just say race. And when you say that, that has been the calling card of the anarchists who are trying to burn this country down. You had a speech that went viral on Twitter about race in America, and I'm wondering, and it's powerful, it's just seven minutes, but it, it might as well have been seven hours because of the incredible amount of passion and facts that you drove into it. What, um, what's been the reaction to that speech since you gave it? I've had people who have called from all over the country and in several foreign countries uh, because it's it takes people like you and I what you're doing on your show and on your network is becoming so rare uh, because very few people even care about the truth whether something is factual. So the fact that I stood up, I had had enough. I had listened to a ridiculous debate for two hours. I have listened for hours and hours of the popular media justifying this anarchy, this, this law-breaking, this lawlessness. And it just came to that point uh, as Jeremiah said, that, you know, there was a fire within. I couldn't sit in my seat. I had to stand and I had to say it. I mean, I knew I had an election in November. I know that what I said would be taken out of context, misconstrued. I would be lied about. I, I, I knew that, but I felt like if I stayed in my seat and did, remained in my seat and did not say something, uh, that God would have not been happy with me on that day. So I had to speak. 
It, it is a remarkable speech to watch. I had a, a pleasure to rewatch it again last night, and uh, it, it speaks so many words. Folks, if you haven't seen it, I'll share it again today on Twitter so that you can see the extraordinary words of Representative DeBerry. It's something to watch. As you look out at the election, uh, obviously you have your own. You'll be fighting for your own constituents and, and, and uh, the opportunity to serve them again. When you look at the choice between a Biden and a Trump or the two different parties, what's, what, what is the issue uh, that this election will turn on? What, what questions should Americans ask before they go to the ballot box or to the mailbox uh, this fall? I think that what folks are going to have to realize is this is an election that will determine the soul of America as to whether or not we're going to save our soul. And, and the fact is they need to get beyond the personalities. What the media has been able to do is make this an election of personalities. Do you like this personality? Do you like this style? Do you like this saying? Do you like this event? What, what we've got to do is what we've always done as Americans. What do people stand for? What is the platform? If this person on the right or this person on the left becomes president, what type of laws are they going to make? What type of people are they going to put on the Supreme Court? What, type, what are they going to do to the federal courts? What, what, are, what are going to be the decisions that are going to be made by this individual, what is America going to look like in four years, whether you like that person or not? What are the decisions they're going to make that deal with the infrastructure and the backbone, if you please, and the foundation of what makes America, America? Will it be compromised by those who want to claim that we're the worst country on earth? Or will it be, be strengthened by someone who feels that we need to look at America and take care of our own responsibilities and take care of one another. Those are the type of questions folks are going to have to ask. They do. It is a really remarkable election. And you're right. You have to strip beyond the popularity contest to to what, what the fundamental issues are. Uh, do you have a favorite? Do you like Joe Biden? Do you like Donald Trump? Have you not decided yet? Well, I'm not. I'm. You know, I, I have told folks nobody knows that but me and God right that's, now. That's the way and, our uh, founding fathers intended it to be. So yes, I will respect uh, right that for now, sure. Yes. Uh, um, I think when I go in that voting booth in November, what I'm going to do is take an introspective examination of myself. I'm going to look and ask myself. I'm going to take a panoramic view of my grandchildren, of my church, of my community of my schools, of my senior citizens. And then I'm going to ask myself, who's going to take care of those things that are going to take care of them in the future? And I'm, I've got to ask myself, who's going to be standing up saying uh, that we are the worst country, that we, we are racist country, that we're and using all the negatives? And who's going to say, look, America, let's let's pull together. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's look within ourselves, and let's 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 make sure that our future is secure. And th those are the questions that folks are going to have to ask themselves. It's just that simple. 
Yeah, I've traveled the country for many years and been so blessed, whether covering elections or other stories. And I'm always, you know, the media has these sort of monolithic images of the party, of, of the different races, of the different regions of the country. And it's always remarkable to be reminded when you travel real America, not the one that's you know made up in the media, that there are all of these diverse experiences, these diverse beliefs and faith and family, different you know family structures. Um, have we lost sight of that? Have, has the media just made this too much an us and them uh, war when, in fact, there's all of this extraordinary, you know, people between the coasts that really just live life and they have their face and they have their needs? And, and uh, how do we get Americans to focus on the fact that we're, we're not each other's enemies? Well, the fact is the media has been brilliant. We've got to give the devil his due. They have been brilliant. <laughs> They have taken our eyes off of those things that make sense, that are common sense, that are factual. They have done this to us. What has happened is the media has made us forget that we had a black president in the White House for two terms for eight years. The media has made us forget that we've had here in Memphis a black mayor uh, for over 40 years right. and someone who uh, um, uh, we've had black legislators. I've been in office for 25, 26 years. Right. We've had black county mayor, black city mayor, black police chief, black fire chief, a black majority in the House of Representatives, a black majority in the city council, in the county commission. You go to Detroit, you go to Chicago, you go to New York, you go all over this country and you see where black people have been in charge of cities and counties and and uh, companies and industries and yeah, police departments too that's police an important part we forget fire that departments. Yeah. and and what the media does is jump over all of this and go all the way back to the plantation yeah that's just absolutely ridiculous and and the only reason they do it is because it it makes people stop thinking and turn their brains off and be brainwashed Mm. to where they can only see what they are told to see. So you'll have one and and nobody, as I said in that speech, nobody says what happened was right. Anybody with any type of common sense and decency knows that nobody, I don't care if they have a uniform on or what, has the right to take another human being's life. But that being said, how many folks were killed in Chicago this past week? How many folks were killed in Detroit, here in Memphis, Tennessee, where we've had babies shot in their car seats, Mm. babies shot in their strollers, little old ladies killed going to the mailbox? How many black folks, if black lives are truly important, Why are they only important when certain situations exist at their demise? Why are they not important when tens of thousands die every year by the hands of black people? And and I'll be called a racist and an Uncle Tom and all kinds of names for bringing that up. But that's a fact that the media wants us to take our eyes off of. And that's a crying shame. 
You're right. And we need to get back to facts. I say this often, and it's part of the reason why we created just the news uh, to get out of the opinion business that most of my colleagues seem to have gotten into the advocacy business. There are just so many facts that if we give the American people without all the spin, the without all the emotion, without all the indoctrination, I think uh, the American people are so wise they make the right decision. It seems as though the media constricts facts now or twists them because they, they're afraid maybe of what uh, what the American people might do with, with honest information. we we got to fix that problem for sure. Well, sir, I am so grateful. I know you have a busy schedule and I want to be cognizant of your time. I, I really thank you uh, for what you've done to serve your constituents for so long and for spending time with our listeners here. As you head into the election, what's your what's your biggest wish for Election Day? When, you, when Election Day is over and you look out, what do you hope the final outcome will be for you personally? Well, I would hope the outcome be not just for me, but for our system of democracy, for what our, my father, who is a Korean uh, War era right. veteran, what men who fought in Vietnam and, and men and women who fought in Desert Storm and World War II and World War I, uh, all the way back to the Civil War and the Revolution, I would like to see the people realize what America is about. And it's about every man having a vote and every man deciding on what's important in this democracy. I would hope that folks go to the poll, and it's not just about John D. Berry, but vote uh, for me because of what I stand for, for what I speak up for, and stand for themselves and their right to choose their representative and those who say, we have, we choose them for you. And I would hope to see at the end that the people win and their voice is heard. Well, we're going to be watching very closely your election because it will speak volumes about the state of America. And, sir, I want to thank you. Folks, you've been listening to State Rep. John DeBerry, Jr. of the great state of Tennessee, of the great city of Memphis, where I've been many times and love to go. Uh, sir, thank you again, and we look forward to talking to you as the election draws near. I thank you so very much. And um, um, DeBerry90.com is my website. All right. We'll make sure people know that. All right, folks, we're thankful. We're going to come right back to wrap things up in just a few minutes right after these commercials. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. I'm so glad you joined me. I'm so uh, honored and proud to have been able to host State Representative John DeBerry today, uh, John DeBerry Jr. of Tennessee, the son of a Korean War era veteran, uh, a man, a lifelong Democrat who has served the great residents and constituents of Memphis, Tennessee for more than a quarter century, and a man who recently was disowned by his own Democratic Party because he continues to espouse his values of faith and family, um, law and order, uh, respect, uh, love of community, love of God, uh, a little story in a small part of the country that speaks a larger volume about tolerance in America, about political litmus testing, about what is at stake in this election. No matter where, who and what you're going to vote for and who you're going to vote for, 
these stories about cancel culture, about rejection of people whose values used are, you know, I still believe in the mainstream of America. Certainly we're in the mainstream of the Democratic Party not that long ago. Um, there's not a lot of difference between John DeBerry's uh, views and John Kennedy's views uh, a half century before that. Uh, John Kennedy's still on a pedestal. He hasn't been cancel cultured yet. Um, here we, we have a man who had very similar values, but today is no longer welcomed in the Democratic Party. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm uh, wishing you all a blessed Labor Day, our last fling of the summer before we got to get into the fall grind. Um, we're going to come back yeah, next week. We're going to have some big stories, Ukraine and Russia. I've been saying September is going to be a very important time, whether it's John Durham, Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley. I promise you next week the beginning of some of those revelations will happen and probably all throughout the month of September. We'll be covering them at justthenews.com. If you need a news fix over the long holiday weekend, check us out. If you need some last-minute lobster and crab legs, we got them at jtnshop.com. Great price, great food. I had them on my back deck with my family not long ago. It was awesome. If you're worried about getting those germs on the phone as the flu season comes along, we've got the Clean Phone Pro. All you got to do to find out all the latest great gadgets and items and food, uh, my book, Fallout, they're all available at jtnshop.com. If you go and take a visit there over the holiday weekend because you're bored looking for something to do, got need a shopping fix, Remember, every time you buy from the store, your money in part goes to support the journalism at justthenews.com at John Solomon Reports. Uh, and also you're supporting the great people who support our uh, enterprise through their advertising, their sponsorship. So we're so grateful. Have a very blessed Labor Day. We'll be back next week with new editions of John Solomon Reports. And check out justthenews.com whenever you need some news. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.